you ever worry? No. No. What do you worry about, I wonder, if, if I gave you a chance to ask you what you worried about? What are you worried about right now? We would get quite a, quite a variety of answers. Well, let's see what Jesus has to say about this very thing. Stand with me, please, as we read from God's Word. Part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You may be seated. It's interesting as we look at the different translations in the Bible of how they would begin to talk about this when Jesus said, do not worry. In the NIV, which we've just read from, it says, therefore, do not, I tell you, do not worry. The King James Version, which a lot of us were familiar with growing up, is, therefore, I say to you, take no thought. Interesting way of putting it. New American Standard Bible says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be anxious. The message kind of puts it this way, do not fuss. Kind of a modern way of thinking about it. But the literal translation here means you are anxious in thought about something. You're troubled in your mind over a matter. That is worry, isn't it? You're fraught with anxiety. You have disturbance of mind. You're worrying. You're distressed. And what was Jesus saying here when he gave us this? Now, some have unfortunately taken it to mean, well, I don't need to really plan in my life. I don't really need to take any thought for tomorrow. And so some have done such things as saying, well, I don't need life insurance because God knows what's coming. And unfortunately, a widow was left behind with no money, no, not much of a home or anything to provide children with. I had a friend in college who, who took his hands off the wheel one day. We were riding along, and he took his hands off the wheel, and we all panicked and said, please get your hands back on the wheel. And he said, don't worry, don't worry, because the Spirit is driving this car. I had a cousin who, we were married about the same time, and after about a year of marriage, he and his wife, she was from Florida, they went to Florida for the summer and went to the beach every day and played. We stayed home and worked through the summer. We were still all in school, and they came back in the fall, and we attended the same church, a church about this size. And 
All of a sudden, they were telling everybody, we don't have any food, we can't afford to turn on the electricity, and, and so on in their apartment. And the church people were very compassionate, feeling for their needs and wanting to do something, and asked me what I thought. I said, I'm not giving a dime. You know, they took no forethought for tomorrow. So obviously Jesus was not saying, do not be concerned about tomorrow. Do not plan for tomorrow. Do not take steps of, of taking care of things for tomorrow. So Jesus is not advocating a style of life that doesn't plan for tomorrow. He is not suggesting a reckless, thoughtless approach to life. And it's in the Proverbs that we are called attention to watch the ant. Have you ever stopped and watched the ant? They are one of the busiest creatures alive, aren't they? All day long. They're busy doing their thing. And uh, the Bible tells us, watch the ant and learn a little bit of something from the ant. So God is not advocating taking no concern about tomorrow. But to fret about the issues and the needs of tomorrow, to let my mind and spirit be in distress over tomorrow is another thing. And quite frankly and honestly, we just simply blow it, don't we, at times in our lives. And to get up into all of this can actually be more injurious, more damaging to me than a number of other kinds of sins. That is hard to believe, but it's true. Think about it, what worry does, what anxiety does. Doesn't it take your peace of mind away? Isn't it bad for your health? Don't you lose sleep when you're caught up in distress and anxiety? Can it make you a grouch? Sure it can, and it does. Does it prevent you from being creative in your life, of thinking ahead, of, of dreaming of things? You see, a free spirit can dream and achieve, but when we're caught up in anxiety, that seems to squelch all of that going on in our lives. It affects my work. It affects my family. It affects my relationships around me. It affects my decision-making capability. It affects my judgment. It makes me incapable of dealing with life when I am really caught up in that cycle of distress and anxiety and worrying too much. What are the things that we worry about in life? Jesus mentioned three of them, food, clothing, and shelter. But, you know, we also worry about our reputation, don't we? I do. We want to be liked, don't we? We worry about success. We worry about fame. We worry about getting married. We worry about school. We worry about sports and career and health and, and the length of life. We worry about dieting. We worry about our neighbors. We worry about our children. We worry about our parents. We worry about the stock market and... The list goes on and on, doesn't it? Those things in life that cause anxiety. We worry about job loss, Boeing people, right? When we consider here that our lifelong goal and desire is to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to daily take up our cross and follow him, here's what Jesus is asking, two things. You could boil this all down to two things, what he forbids and what he demands. Two things. And he asks this of us for two reasons. Number one, he knows I love you and I know what's best for you. So to be anxiety-free is your best route. But you know, to really worship him, the second, thing he, 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 uh, second reason he asks these two things of us is that 
To really worship Him requires you and me to be anxiety-free. Because God lovingly wants our worship of Him, and when we are anxiety-free, we trust Him in our heart and our life. And it proves us. What Jesus here forbids and what He demands is often the most difficult thing in life to keep a hold of. It's an everyday thing. It's a choice we make over and over and over. And believe it or not, it really comes down to the heart what we want to do. It's a heart issue. Will I trust him or will I not? Will I trust him and take my hands off or do I have to keep my hands on things and, and live as if I don't really trust you, Lord, with everything? Anxiety. I've got a Toyota pickup. And uh, it's an automatic, so it's got overdrive. And uh, the way you put on overdrive and take it off overdrive is on the shift column over here. There's a little button on the end, and I often inadvertently bop that little button, you know, doing whatever I'm doing, changing the radio or getting my coffee or whatever it is or waving to people. I bump that little button, and... uh, If I take it off of overdrive, I'm not getting as good a gas mileage. And I'm really fussy about that. And so I often will look at my dash and it will tell me, you took it off of overdrive. And i got to push the button again. See, there's no in-between. You're either in overdrive or you're not in overdrive. There's no in-between position. And in life, we're basically faced with the same thing. We are either totally trusting God and we're not in a frame of anxiety or we are not trusting God and anxiety is a way of life. This thing is a matter of the heart. Only two options. I choose to trust God or I can slip into the mode of distrust. Now there's six reasons that we'll take out of this passage why we should not worry. Why we should... Seek after this life daily of taking up our cross, of trusting God, being anxiety-free. And let's look at them. Number one, if God does the greater in life, surely he's going to take care of the lesser. And Jesus is talking about this in verse 25. He's basically saying if God is the giver of life, if God did the greatest thing, which was give you life, isn't he going to do the lesser thing, which is take care of your life? Which is the greater thing to do, to give it in the beginning or to maintain it? Well, to give it is surely the greatest miracle. And the giver of life is concerned about the life going on after he created it and put it in place. And so God not only sees our creation and our coming into existence, but he is, he is in charge of everything after that and watching everything after that. So number one, God does the greater He's going to take care of the lesser, which is the everyday issues of life. Number two, reason why we shouldn't worry is Jesus brings up a little lesson about these sparrows. We're pretty sure he was talking about the sparrows when he referred to the birds. The birds are that little creature that teaches us how to keep balance in life if we'll let them. The sparrow, like the ant, is one of the busiest creatures in the world, aren't they? They're always busy, all day long. What are they doing? 
Well, they're going about their duties. They're gathering food. They're, they're maintaining their nest. They're building nests. They're taking care of the young. They're singing. They're chirping. They know what they're doing. They've got their list, and they're, they're checking it, and they're doing it all day long. Night comes, and they go to rest, don't they? Here's how they approach life. They are not lazy by any means. They do their work, but they do not let one anxious thought about tomorrow enter their mind. They just say, don't need to do that. Don't need to go there. They rest in ease at night. God designed them to function that way and to have balance in life, and he cares for them. And Jesus is simply telling us we need to build up a faith that knows God will take care of tomorrow. He takes care of these little tiny creatures. Surely he will take care of me. Here's the third thing Jesus brought up. If you worry about your future, you're not going to lengthen your days. Number three. In fact, the best way to lengthen your days in life is to not worry about life, right? That leads to a healthy mind, healthy body, healthy emotions, healthy soul, if you can be anxiety-free. And a live a life of worry and anxiety, no doubt, is probably going to shorten your days. I've actually heard from the medical field, and we have some here this morning, that if you are anxiety-free, you have a stronger immune system. Am I right on that? Okay, good. You fight off colds better. Fight off viruses better. In fact, I've been to cancer seminars where they encourage the patients to eat a certain way, to eat healthy, but also to be anxiety-free because it helps fight against cancer. Wow. Something's going on here. You're not going to lengthen your days by worrying. You're going to shorten them. Number four, Jesus now draws our attention to the flower. There were all kinds of flowers, but he was talking about the flowers of the field. And and I just want to share with you, I'd I'd gone up to my father's this week, and and, uh, actually I spent a few hours working with him, and he's got some fellas working for him now because he's not supposed to work and he hasn't been working, but he can stand out there with a cane and point and give directions. So he's hired three or four guys, and one of the guys he's hired that's worked for him for about a week, he was getting ready to leave, and I was talking with him there. And uh, he is a gentleman that's been released from jail and, and is in a release work program. And uh, so it's been a number of months since, since he has even worked. He's a carpenter. He's a framer. And uh, we were talking there, and looking at the house that he'd been working on, and he said to me, you know, it feels so great to work and to get done and look at what you've done and feel pride in it and a sense of satisfaction. I know Tim and Phil are probably going to, every time they go in that bathroom, they're just going to feel so good when they go in, when they come out both. But anyway, they'll... They'll feel so, sorry, they'll feel so good because there's a sense of pride there in what they did, right? Do you know what? I don't think we really realize what God was feeling when he created. 
What did he say after every day? Six days of creation. He got done. What did he say? It is good. What do you think he was saying by that? He was saying, I love what I have created. So on the, on the uh, let's see, what day was it? I don't remember. Anyway, third day, somewhere along the line, he made the flowers. He made the vegetation, all the vegetation. He got done with it, and he looked back on the day, and he said, it is good. I am so proud of what I have created, the flower. Now, you stop to think about the flower. You know, the seed sprouts, the stem shoots up, it's green, the whole process of photosynthesis, you know, the, the plants taking carbon monoxide, they exhale oxygen, we're the opposite. You know, the way the stem and, and all those little parts of the flower, and I forgot my biology class and all that stuff we learned, but it is a remarkable creation. And God is so proud of it. If God is proud of a flower that will grow up, and do its thing. And then all it's good for is to be cast into the oven, which, by the way, what they did with the dried grasses and flowers, when their ovens were, were going and, and they needed it to get hotter real quick, they would throw in some dry grass and dry flowers because that would make it hot real quick. So the flower has this little short life. It makes a flower, goes into the oven, it's done. But God says, I am so proud of the flower. Aren't you greater than the flower? Do you believe God sees you that way? And that's what all that Jesus is really trying to say. He's proud of you. You're his creation. He's not about to forget you. You're many, many more times valued than the flower. Number five, worry makes us no different than those in this world who have heard very little about Christ. This is where you kind of feel the ouch. You know, we come to church every week. We worship every week. We come into God's presence all the time. We encourage each other. And, and, uh, but if we worry, we're no different than those who have hardly ever known anything about Christ whatsoever. In fact, you know what? Sometimes we become an accomplice for the devil's cause. We do. Ashamedly so. Here's how it works. I know it's a strong statement, but think about it. When we fuss, when we complain, when we get up all caught up in an anxiety fit, and the unsaved people around us notice that, the devil says, wow, not much I need to do here. I don't see anybody going to jump on the bandwagon of wanting to become a Christian because they're not going to want what they have. So Jesus is saying when we act like that, we're, we're just about like the people that don't really know much of anything about God. They've got an excuse, but we don't. Here's what's interesting, too. You know, you can people rationalize just about every kind of sin that has come along. Someone made me do it. I got a bad deal. It was my bad upbringing. It really wasn't that bad. And 
Everybody else is doing it. You can rationalize about every sin there is, but you know the easiest sin we rationalize? Fretting. Right? Do we really feel bad when we fret? We don't. That's not a bad sin. It's a distrust of God, though. It's saying to ourselves, I've got to figure this out. I've got to come up with the miracles I need in life. I have to provide for my every need. All to the real truth that really what's going on deep down inside is, I am saying I do not trust God. Number six, how do you defeat worry? Two things. First of all, seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus modeled this for us, didn't he? Every day he went out to be with his father. Every day he got alone. Every day he pushed away the distractions of life. He fasted 40 days, remember, to be ready for the temptations the devil would put upon him. He lived on the word of God. So you seek first the kingdom of God. That's how you become anxiety-free. First and foremost, he lived that relationship with his father, and, and that was most important. And as you read through the, the New Testament, the Gospels, you find he was always talking to his father. Always. The relationship things. And he was intent in not letting anything interfere with his relationship to his father. Nothing's going to dissolve that. Nothing's going to alter that. And he lived that perfectly. None of us can claim that perfection. We've lost it here and there. Or we've lost our trust here and there, haven't we? We can't claim that. But we are to make it our aim in life to learn that, to live that, to master it better and better. But most of all, always see this as the most important thing. Seek first his kingdom. Here's the second thing we must do. And Jesus brings it up here in verses 33 and 34. Live one day at a time. Seems like there's a song. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. And it goes on. Yeah, we need to plan for tomorrow. You better plan for tomorrow. You know, that's a part of life. But don't fret and fuss about tomorrow. I take my hands off of that. You see, I will not allow my mind and my heart to borrow from tomorrow's issues. And Jesus was talking about that. Alan Esther is coming down to the last days of his life. He has a number of health complications, which I'm not even sure I understand. But doctors are saying that it's coming. And then hospice has been called in and he will remain in the hospital and they will do all they can to make him comfortable as, as he comes to that last breath. But I've talked with Alan here recently. In fact, even last night. And, and I go in and I visit Alan and he's laying in bed there. The most serene man you could ever visit with. At peace with everything. 
And we talked about his earthly journey coming to an end. And where's his faith? Where's his trust? And all of those things. But here's what really blesses my heart when I go in to see him. I'm looking on a 90-year-old man who is frail, who is weak, who uh, is getting weaker. But I look upon a perfect picture of peace, serenity, and trust. Amazing. Why do I say amazing? Because if I were in that bed, I'd be pretty fidgety. I would. You probably would too. In fact, last night, it's interesting, I was in there and his family was there and I teased him. I said, Alan, wow, you're kind of like these new guys. you got a California beard, you know, three or four days of stubble here. And his family said, yeah, we didn't know whether to shave him today or wait till tomorrow. They said, you know, you ever shave somebody else? That's hard to do. And I'm sure it isn't. So we're kind of fussing about all this. And Alan speaks up and says, well, why don't you just wait till my funeral? Don't fuss about it. Worry about it. Let them do it. I'm not worried about it. But I ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, why can he lay there in such perfect peace, calm, and serenity? You know why? Because he learned a way of living that was to trust his heavenly Father and be anxiety-free. And it's no wonder when he comes down to the most important moment of his life, he doesn't have to fret. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but many can boast of being free of so many sins in life. They can say, no, I don't do that one. Oh, no, I don't do that one. No, I don't do that one. We keep from that one. But when it comes to fretting and worrying and being anxious about tomorrow and being free of complaining and, and all these things that come along, if we were to be very, very honest, at times we would say, yes, I do let that one creep into my heart, into my mind into my soul, and I always pay for it. It's injurious. Oh, I know we rationalize it away, and we say, well, that's not a real sin. That's not anything great. But really think about it. God wants your worship. God wants your trust. God wants your relationship. And when we fret and stew and fuss and are in anxiety, it's not true worship. Will you bow your heads as we pray? Our Father, this morning, we do believe that our relationship with you is more important than anything else. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about what image we put up for others. It's not about what we give. It's not about our fame, our reputation. 
It's about relationship. Do we trust you? Is it solid right now? And if not, Lord, help us to be free of this sin that you tell us not to indulge in. Talk to our hearts right now and encourage us. Help us to know who we are in you. Help us to realize, Lord, we can trust you, believe you, have faith in you for every issue, for all of our tomorrows, and all that would come along as we are in you. In your name we pray. Amen.